Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. We all can't help but wonder what adventure lies just over the next ridge. A Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada will take you there. If you're taking on your adventure in a new 2024 Nissan Rogue, class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the 2024 Nissan Rogue. Nissan's SUV has the capabilities to take you where you want to go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. No surprise here, but you know I gotta have my devices when I travel. I would be lost without my smartphone. I use it for directions, to find things to do, and most importantly, where to eat. I rely on it as a digital music player to enhance my experience as I explore a new place. Oh, and sometimes I even use it to make calls and stuff. That's the kind of traveler I am. And if you travel, you know what kind you are, too. That's why you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as he always does on the occasions on which we sit here behind the microphones and talk about things about tech, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Is this a kissing book? (laughs) So today we're going to address the question, will technology revolutionize education? Yes. No. Maybe. Maybe. Okay, we got the bases covered. Let's dive in. All right, then. I feel better. Emily, we love you. <laughs> she may not even be listening anymore. Yeah. She might have moved on to bigger and better podcasts. Mm-hmm. No, there's no such thing. All right. So uh, we wanted to talk about uh, – this is another in our series, obviously, on education and technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wanted to talk about the, the possibility, the potential for technology to revolutionize education and the way that, that teachers teach students. And uh, and kind of talk about the difference between the tool and the method. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's funny because uh, we sort of set that up as a joke when we did the yes, no, maybe. But I think I think all three it's are true. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because so, uh, you know, there's there's a the potential, but yeah, the the 
It's it's just like any other tool. Mm-hmm. If you if you hand someone a tool but do not tell that person how to use it, mm-hmm. then you can't expect the person to become an expert with that tool, you know, and be able to produce anything of any value without lots and lots and lots of time. And that means the person has to be really motivated mm-hmm. to to master that tool. Uh, despite the frustrations of not really understanding how to use it mm-hmm. and that's just that's that's too big a burden most of us i would i would has i would not hesitate to say that most people if given a really advanced tool but they were given no help in how to use it uh would abandon it uh, there'd be a few who would be intrigued enough to try and master it but i think I think an overwhelming percentage of us, and I, I include myself in that, would get frustrated and find it find better ways to use our time. I find I find myself doing that with a number of software programs, frankly. Yeah, there are times where. Well, here's a good example. This this is nothing. Uh, we didn't discuss this beforehand, but here's an excellent example. We did a podcast okay. about this particular tool ages ago, and Uh-oh. just recently it went away. Google Wave. Yeah. That's so a good Google, example. Google Wave was a really innovative tool and as we record this podcast it's just shortly after Google pulled the plug on Wave. Yeah, I think they're I think they're just going to leave it and you can use it the way it is, but I don't think they're ever going to work on They're not supporting it. development. Money. Yeah, they're yeah. not going to do anything new with it. So Google Wave was this really interesting idea the execution of which was so confusing that I think most people never really got a grip on the best way to use the tool. Here mm-hmm. we go. We, we've got this really advanced tool that can do lots of things, but without any direction on how to use it and and way and uh, real case scenarios of how this could be useful. Most people tried it maybe once or twice and then found it to be so overwhelming and confusing that they were like, well, there's there's no use for this for me, and they stopped coming back to it. Uh, Chris and I are in that camp. Yeah, you know, we we did find a specific use for it, but then that specific use went away. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the funny thing too. It wasn't um, it wasn't so much that it, it wasn't terribly confusing, but there were a lot of situations in which you try to use it for something. You go, you know what? This is not the right tool yeah, I'm for what spending, I'm trying to do. I'm spending too much time trying to make this... Trying to make it work. Make it work, yeah. right. Instead of having it work right off mm-hmm. the bat. And you could see that there were potential applications, but they were so specific that if you didn't have a need for that, then Google Wave was just... you know, It was easy enough to forget about it because unless that specific case came up, uh, there's no point in going to it. So there's an example of a technology that in theory, should be amazing, mm-hmm. should be incredibly useful sure. and uh, a great collaborative tool and a great communications tool, but in practice, it fell apart. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. the same can be said about technology and education uh, and across the board. And it could be something as simple as just a regular laptop computer, which mm-hmm. a lot of us take for granted. Uh, you know, a lot of us have been used to using computers. Some some of you out there have been using computers ever since you can, you know, as far back as you can remember. Sure. Now that's not the case with uh, with us because we're old enough to remember when personal computers were very uncommon. Although we both jumped on the bandwagon pretty early. 
True. True enough. I, I do remember uh, monochrome monitors. So yes, yeah. I I uh, I also remember those. So uh, again, the y- y- it's easy enough to take that for granted because they've been you know computers have been around long enough now so that the current generation of students mm-hmm. have grown up with them. But that does not necessarily mean that you know just by throwing computers in a classroom you've made education easy and accessible and effective. That's right. So. Uh, Let's let's kind of talk about how technology can affect education and how you know where we place the importance on on the method of teaching. Okay. Um, one interesting thing I read was uh, a case study that was being done where uh, uh, s- students were taking a a learning style assessment. Yes. Test. Mm-hmm. Because we all have different learning styles, right? Yep. Yeah. Some of us are much better if we hear information, then we can process it and we're we're good to go. Some yeah. of us have to see it. Yeah. Um, personally, for me, uh, the way that I learned, and, and this is something that uh, that still applies today, is that I needed to see why you did something a specific way. Not just how to do it, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. why it had to be done that way for it to make sense to me. Because mm-hmm. without it making sense... It was just it was just information, right? And I couldn't put it into context, and it was it ultimately meaningless to me. Mm-hmm. So if you could if you could explain a chemical reaction to me, and explain to me why the chemical reaction happens the way it does, then it totally made sense. But if you just gave me the you know you acid base salt, uh, you know, and that was it, mm-hmm. it I, I could I could regurgitate those facts, but it didn't. There was no real comprehension there. Right. Right. So really, I think the the, the technology in the classrooms question, uh, it's a great tool, but what that really means is that we have to focus on teaching students how to think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Definitely so. Um, the... Uh the Sugar Learning System, which is a uh, uh, operating system um, that is geared toward elementary school students, um, or primarily toward them, haha, <laughs> primarily, um, basically is designed. <laughs> it was designed for the uh, one laptop per child project, but it can be used on on any computer. You can use a uh, what they call it, Sugar on a Stick, which is a USB implementation of that. It's also tasty. Rock no, candy. No. <laughs> Rock candy is sugar on a stick is tastes like silicon. Um, oh, and and not lead. Tasty. I wouldn't suggest silicon and lead. This tastes like sand and blindness. Yes, and rage. Um, anyway, <laughs> thanks a lot. Uh, basically, the one of the things behind the operating system. I mean, other than to be simple enough that people speaking many languages can use it. A lot of it is uh, is visual and not necessarily language oriented, um, although it has been uh, localized in many instances. Um, one of the the benefits to this is that it teaches critical thinking, mm-hmm. um, and that's sort of unique, I think, in the idea of uh, te- bringing technology into the classroom. Because I mean, it's one thing to drop a PC in front of somebody and go, "Here you go, there's the internet. That's got yeah. everything." You've, that, <laughs> and done. Yeah, here's your diploma. Get the hell out. <laughs> Honestly, that's some people's approach. Yeah, but um, yeah, teaching teaching kids how to think for themselves. 
is uh, is sort of unheard of in some circles, you know. And it's uh, it's nice to see that that people are trying to take that into account when they are developing technology. And uh, you know, they're also recruiting people to make more. Uh, applications for the operating system, and uh, you know it's a it's a uh, free and open source uh, OS. So it it really gets many many people involved and tries to get the uh, the end user in this case the students to uh, to think for themselves. Yeah, and and if you guys have been listening to our show for a while, you know that I've stressed critical thinking mm-hmm. multiple times, and uh, and that's something that I wish had been stressed to me earlier in my educational. Uh, experience. Sure. Um, by the time I was starting to hear the term critical thinking, it was pretty late in my high school. Uh, uh, well, I, just, I guess it would have to be junior or senior year in high school. And then, of course, I heard it throughout college. And uh, critical thinking is really, really important. It's it, it, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't really matter so much what tools you have at your disposal as much as it as much as learning to think critically. Mm-hmm. Um, now, having great tools at your disposal makes that both easier and I'm having a zombie advance on me as I'm trying to do this. Uh, but having the tools at your disposal makes critical thinking easier to do. Yes. Uh, but it it does not, you know, it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, you could say, well, technology revolutionize education. You could almost say no, mm-hmm. because what would revolutionize education is making sure that you're teaching students how to think. But I think technology makes that easier. It also makes it easier to engage students. Mm-hmm. Um I was talking about that learning assessment, and I was talking about my own way of, of learning. Uh, I kind of kind of lost the whole point of that. I taught, I introduced it, but I didn't really get at it. The the point of that was to uh, if you if you have a, a classroom where each student has access to a laptop computer, let's say mm-hmm. as an example, mm-hmm. and each student takes a learning assessment test, and and the uh, the program determines the best way for that student to learn. Mm-hmm. In theory, if you are using an electronic syllabus, let's say, sure, a teacher could present a certain class, uh, a, a, a lesson, and then all the materials that were related to that lesson would be filtered to the student through the laptop in the method that was the most effective method for that student to learn in. It's feasible. Which is... To me, mind blowing. Mm-hmm. You have to remember when we went to school, the the way you learned really ultimately didn't matter because the person sitting next to you did not necessarily learn that same way, and the teacher did not necessarily teach in that way. Mm-hmm. So you had to try and adjust your learning uh, your learning preference to the way the teacher taught. Right. You know, the teacher could not. The teachers are just. In, they're not able to teach in a way that's going to hit every student effectively. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. It's not that well, the teachers are. It's not impossible, but you would really need to group students into groups who of, of similar learning styles to make it work. Based upon our being, based upon our resources, right? Okay, based upon the number of teachers right, right. compared to the number of students, it's impossible because we don't have enough teachers and enough space to group students in class sizes small enough for that to be an effective approach mm-hmm. at least not not across the entire country in some school districts that may be possible and that is amazing and wonderful and uh, you know I and I'm also I want to stress you know, I am the son of two teachers I want to stress that I respect teachers and there are no words to express mm-hmm. how 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 gratified I am toward them but they they de- they are fighting 
a, a losing battle mm-hmm. when it comes to trying to teach and engage every student. It's just not going to happen. Technology helps that, makes that a little less difficult. I'm not going to say that with technology, we're suddenly going to have a nation of engaged students, every single one of whom is eager and willing to learn at every day at school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it makes it easier because if you can determine that each student's learning style, and if you can tailor the lessons electronically so that the student has the best chance of grasping a concept, understanding it, and being able to apply it, then it makes engaging that student much easier. Yes. I think a lot of students would be engaged if they felt didn't feel like they were not getting it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And of course, you know, if you could if you could teach every student to his or her particular style, I think you would have fewer bored students in class. Yes. You would have more engagement overall. It would be it would be a really amazing uh, I think you'd see a really amazing uh, outcome from that. Uh, yeah. I was just going to mention, too, if you're interested in learning your learning style, um, I wasn't long ago that one of my professors uh, in my graduate school studies suggested the uh, VARC learning assessment, mm-hmm. uh, which is really neat and free. Um, at, uh, and you can find that at V-A-R-K, VARC-learn.com. Excellent. So, uh, you know, if you're, you're if you're curious, there's a, a quick questionnaire. Um, it takes just a few minutes to, to fill out, and you can find out how you learn, which actually may affect the way you use technology to learn, because maybe you can find, you know, once you've identified these things, they'll probably seem sort of self-evident. You'll go, oh, yeah, well, I knew that. Yeah. But, you know, it's nice to, to kind of have somebody go, okay, well, based on what you've told us, this is what we think. And, right. Uh, you know, right. could yeah. be useful. And, and for some people, it's all about getting hands-on experience with something. Yes. For others, it's you know hearing it all intellectualized. It, it, it depends from one person to the next. Some people tend to be really good at all of them, and I hate them. <laughs> well, unless, some, unless you listen to tech stuff. <laughs> well, some people are self-directed too. Yeah. Uh, you know, others need the uh, the teacher or professor to you know go through it step by step. Certainly. Um, for me, I think it sort of depends on the topic. Yeah. For example, uh, in in symbolic logic, I found that I could direct myself so effectively that I would attend class two days out of five, and I aced it. But in other classes, Mm -hmm. uh, that was certainly not the case. So it's not like I was some sort of genius. It was just that, for whatever reason, symbolic logic was one of those things that just clicked. but you know that's again with with the technology we can identify that or at least have the potential to identify that early on with students and hopefully maximize each student's potential to to learn mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and there are some other ways that technology really could revolutionize education uh, here's here's just a simple example consider a social studies course or a geography course okay and then think of a uh, a virtual globe program, and I'm I'm just going to use Google Earth as the example because it's the one I'm the most familiar with. Mm-hmm. All right. Now Google Earth allows you to apply various layers to the the uh, globe, the virtual globe you're looking at, uh, which can be helpful in dozens or hundreds of different applications edu- in, in an educational format. So theoretically, you could create. A, uh, a version of Google Earth that would show you what the civilizations looked like in medieval Europe. Mm-hmm. 
So you could see things like the size of Paris compared to the size of London, and uh, and and see like how far widespread certain civilizations were, and even incorporate things like multimedia and movies, so that if you wanted to explore a particular concept even further, it'd be easy enough to do that. With modern day geography, you could show how uh, how borders have shifted mm-hmm. over. Yeah, you know, as little as a decade ago, how how borders have shifted, and you can even show things like through pictures and video and that sort of thing, um, the the conditions of that particular region, the the people who live there, the the kind of lives they lead, which I think would lead to a much deeper understanding of various cultures and regions throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my experience, we got all that by reading from a textbook, but words on a page. Don't you know? Of course, they always say a picture's worth a thousand words. Mm-hmm. Words on a page don't have the same impact as seeing this stuff, uh, if not in person, then at least through video and and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, when I think about the potential of using technology to relate something along those lines, I think it really is revolutionary. It just requires a teacher with the savvy and approach to to use it at its most uh, effective level mm-hmm. for it to, to become a reality. Well, I mean, speaking of textbooks, one of the that's one of the advantages um, of having something like a, a virtual book or an ebook. If you have the the right um, device that you can read it on, where you can embed uh, different kinds of technology in the page, you could actually see a video of you know the people being discussed, um, you know, or, or see pictures of them. Um, you might even be able to, if it were connected to the internet, you know, get an update. Uh, based on you know what's going on, and the, this is the way people looked you know in this region 50 years ago. This is the way they are now, um, and that that's one ability that the web has. That you know the <laughs> uh, the World Book Yearbook 1966 didn't. Um, yeah. You know when back back when uh, back when I was a kid. We were using primarily paper encyclopedias. You know, you'd have the honestly, you'd have the encyclopedia salesperson coming door to door, trying to sell you a set of books, or your parents really a set of books. And the thing is, you were expected to buy a yearbook every year. Right, that would to, give you updates exactly. But you know, frankly, you know, once you had a set of encyclopedias, and it was from 1972, you know, for your older brother or sister, you know, it's not it's 1978. You know, well, I mean, this stuff is six years old, and then you know, you get into middle school in 1984, and you go, "Man, this thing is getting pretty ancient. It's pretty outdated information." Now you can go online to the web um, and find uh, pretty good resources. I mean, you can go to Britannica.com and get you know fairly recent you know articles about virtually anything, right? And uh, it's you you can be pretty well assured that these are scholarly resources that have been researched by somebody who knows what they're doing mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and it's and it's recent and you don't have to worry about whether or not uh, your uh, teacher's going to give you a, a lecture about, come on, can't you find something newer than this? Yeah, and yeah, technology is certainly... Uh revolutionized access to information <laughs> to the point where now the the problem isn't finding information about the topic you want to study it's filtering that information in such a way that it's meaningful but we'll we'll talk about that we've got a plan for a future podcast mm-hmm. specifically uh, this was actually a listener request to specifically uh, address how to use the web and the internet 
to research topics in an effective manner. But that is certainly one of the ways that technology has been in the process of, of revolutionizing education. Well, certainly, um, you know, we have a, a school media center, and it's really got limited size and limited financial resources behind it. Um, having an opportunity to be on something like here in Georgia, we've got Galileo, which is a part of the university system in Georgia, and it's got access to thousands of different scholarly resources, peer-reviewed articles, yeah. um, other kinds of information that you wouldn't physically be able to house or afford by the school itself or yeah. even the school system. It's an invaluable resource. You know, things like that. It's something that we here at, at How Stuff Works mm-hmm. use quite often because yeah. it allows us to access scholarly journals that otherwise we would have to have, you know, we'd have to have... 200 subscriptions. Mm-hmm. And where do we put all that stuff once we get it? Yeah. Um, that tool has really made research much easier and um, far more effective mm-hmm. than, um, than before. I mean, before you pretty much had to, you know, just hope that whatever you had was adequate to the task at hand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, that one benefit, too, of, of a system like that. And I'm sure there are probably... Uh Comparable resources in many, you know, many of the states in the United States and probably elsewhere around the world, um, is uh, is the ability for somebody to you know, a student to access that in their school media center and then go home or go to their public library nearby and get access to that if they have an internet connection and a computer available to them. They're going to be familiar with the system already, and it's not where they have to learn two or three separate systems. They're already acquainted with it and they're they should be comfortable with it of course it requires a certain level of information literacy and yeah. training which is also part of you know having the the teachers and uh, media specialists having the time and um, in some cases know how to explain what's going on to them yeah really what's required there is a support system for yes. the educators mm-hmm. so that they themselves can not only know how to use the tools but how to use the tools in the most effective manner because mm-hmm. we I, you know I've talked a lot about how teachers need to be able to explain to students how to use these tools that means that the teachers need to learn it too yeah. and and some teachers uh, are going to find that more challenging than others because this is a completely new way to them um, and often a lot of our school systems don't have the the real they don't give the teachers the the resources they need mm-hmm. to increase their skill sets in such a way that's meaningful yeah yeah uh, and again you know my heart goes out to all the teachers out there but yeah sometimes sometimes they're really fighting against the system in order to uh, to get the tools they need to to do a good job mm-hmm. yeah there uh, this is going to be sad to many of our younger listeners who are still in school but yeah once you uh, once you get out of college with your degree you will probably be engaging in some sort of professional development for the entirety of your career especially if you are passionate about passionate about your job like so many. Uh, of the educators with whom I have worked over the years. I mean, that goes to things that you, you know, stuff that you wouldn't necessarily think would be applicable. Even if you're just, you know, you're just, even if you decide to go into, say, uh, you know, white collar office environment, I mean, you have systems change all the time. So without that literacy, that technological literacy, uh, those changes can be really, really tough. Mm-hmm. Even with that literacy, they can be challenging because I can tell you as someone who has experienced multiple upgrades 
over the course of my professional career, mm-hmm. even as someone who knows how computers work and I've, I'm familiar with different UIs and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, even I find it challenging whenever there's a, a significant change. Um, I'm reminded of when the last time we updated our word processor and I was crying because all the things that I used were in different places now. Yes. Why do you do that? Any. Microsoft, I'm looking at you. <laughs> Not to call you out, Microsoft, but seriously, when you upgrade your, your systems, why do you have to rearrange where everything is? I think if you say the name of the developer twice, you're probably calling them out. What, Microsoft? <laughs> Three times. Yeah. So anyhow. Well, I'm sure that if I were using some other system, like if I were, the same thing is true for others as well. I mm-hmm. remember distinctly <laughs> upgrading from, I think it was WordPerfect 4.2 to WordPerfect 5.1 and thinking, what did you do? <laughs> I can't find anything anymore. Yeah. my All my shortcuts don't work anymore. Yeah. And that's an argument for UI design. So, mm-hmm. when we were talking about the uh, classroom in the, of the future, yeah, in, in uh, the previous, previous podcast, podcast yeah. we were. Uh, I mentioned the study that we ran across in Der Spiegel, in which they the the German researchers had assumed that the students were comfortable. They'd grown up with the internet, so yeah. you know they knew the ins and outs, and they were going to use it for everything they ever did. And it turned out they didn't. Um, but I do think basically they uh, to sum it up. If you haven't listened to it, they uh, the kids. Use it for entertainment purposes, chatting, keeping up with their friends. They're very good at using it for specific purposes, but yeah. beyond that very or relatively narrow range of uses, they were not as effective. And they're not necessarily information or internet literate as far as going to find research and, and you know really knowing how to use the internet. But I do think that in that case, um, they would probably be at least more familiar. Like if they were asked to switch from, say, uh, Windows 7 to KDE Linux, they would mm-hmm. probably be able to get around more so than somebody who was just getting into computers for the very first time as an adult. And I know a lot of adults who are extremely comfortable with it, but there are some, and there are some kids who look at a computer and say, you know, that's just not for me. I don't, I'm not comfortable with that. I yeah. really don't want to mess with it. So, I mean... You have to have people who are, are trained in it. You have to have people who are comfortable with the technology for it to really make a difference in the classroom, right. I think. So, yeah, there is an amazing potential for technology Absolutely. to really impact education. But ultimately, it just boils down to the people. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I mean, that's no real big surprise. I mean, it, it, it can be a surprise if you're one of those technologists, you know, a futurist who, who looks ahead and says, look at the amazing tools they'll be at our disposal. Because that they, they often will presuppose that we will be adept at using them. Um, turns out people are a little more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. So we, I, I fall into the cautiously optimistic camp mm-hmm. in that I definitely see the potential for, for technology to help, and I, I am hoping that it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to concentrate on that. Okay, then. Sounds fair to me. Okay. Well, that was a good discussion about technology and education. Uh, We do have one other one planned specifically looking at the way to conduct research online and the most effective uh, kind of uh, skills that you can develop and and, uh, 
and some tips for you guys out there if you are needing to research something specific. Uh, what's the best way of going about it? That'll be coming up in a future podcast. So if you guys have any other uh, questions about education and technology or just other technology topics in general, you can write us. Our email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. If you're a Tech Stuff fan, be sure to check us out on Twitter. Tech Stuff HSW is our handle, and you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash techstuffhsw. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places.